0: Chapter 2 The Mountains of California. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please contact LibriVox.org. Recording by Robert Garrison. For more information on this reader, please visit Climber53.com. The Mountains of California by John Muir. 1894. Chapter 2 The Glaciers. Of the small residual glaciers mentioned in the preceding chapter, I have found sixty five in that portion of the range lying between latitude thirty six degrees thirty minutes and thirty nine degrees. They occur singly or in small groups on the north sides of the peaks of the High Sierra, sheltered beneath broad, frosty shadows, in amphitheaters of their own making, where the snow, shooting down from the surrounding heights and avalanches, is most abundant. Over two-thirds of the entire number lie between latitude 37 degrees and 38 degrees, and form the highest fountains of the San Joaquin, Merced, Tuolmi, and Owen's rivers. The glaciers of Switzerland, like those of the Sierra, are mere wasting remnants of mighty ice-floods that once filled the great valleys and poured into the sea. So also are those of Norway, Asia, and South America. Even the grand, continuous mantles of ice that still cover Greenland, Spitzbergen, Nova Zembla, Franz Josef Land parts of Alaska and the South Polar region are shallowing and shrinking. Every glacier in the world is smaller than it once was. All the world is growing warmer, or the crop of snowflowers is diminishing. But in contemplating the conditions of the glaciers of the world, we must bear in mind, while trying to account for the changes going on, that the same sunshine that wastes them, builds them. Every glacier records the expenditure of an enormous amount of sun-heat in lifting the vapor for the snow of which it is made from the ocean to the mountains, as Tyndall strikingly shows. The number of glaciers in the Alps, according to the Schlagentweit brothers, is one thousand one hundred, of which one hundred may be regarded as primary, and the total area of ice, snow, and neve is estimated at 1177 square miles or an average for each glacier of little more than one square mile on the same authority the average height above sea level at which they melt is about 7,414 feet the Grindelwald glacier descends below 4,000 feet and one of the Mont Blanc glaciers reaches nearly as low a point One of the largest of the Himalaya glaciers on the headwaters of the Ganges does not, according to Captain Hodgson, descend below 12,914 feet. The largest of the Sierra glaciers on Mount Shasta descends to within 9,500 feet of the level of the sea, which, as far as I have observed, is the lowest point reached by any glacier within the bounds of California the average height of all being not far from 11,000 feet. The changes that have taken place in the glacial conditions of the Sierra from the time of greatest extension is well illustrated by the series of glaciers of every size and form extending along the mountains of the coast to Alaska. A general exploration of this instructive region shows that to the north of California, through Oregon and Washington, Groups of active glaciers still exist on all the high volcanic cones of the Cascade Range. Mount Pitt, the Three Sisters, Mounts Jefferson, Hood, St. Helens, Adams, Rainier, Baker, and others, some of them of considerable size, though none of them approach the sea. Of these mountains, Rainier, in Washington, is the highest and iciest. Its dome-like summit, between fourteen thousand and fifteen thousand feet high, is capped with ice, and eight glaciers, seven to twelve miles long, radiate from it as a center, and form the sources of the principal streams of the state. The lowest descending of this fine group flows through beautiful forest to within 3,500 feet of the sea level, and sends forth a river laden with glacier mud and sand. On through British Columbia and southeastern Alaska the broad, sustained mountain chain extending along the coast is generally glacier-bearing. The upper branches of nearly all the main canyons and fjords are occupied by glaciers, which gradually increase in size and descend lower until the high region between Mount Fairweather and Mount St. Elias is reached, where a considerable number discharge into the waters of the ocean. This is preeminently the ice land of Alaska and the entire Pacific coast. Northward from here, the glaciers gradually diminish in size and thickness and melt at higher levels. In Prince William Sound and Cook's Inlet, many fine glaciers are displayed, pouring from the surrounding mountains. But to the north of latitude sixty two degrees, few, if any, glaciers remain the ground being mostly low and the snowfall light. Between latitude 56 degrees and 60 degrees, there are probably more than 5,000 glaciers, not counting the smallest. Hundreds of the largest size descend through the forest to the level of the sea or near it, though as far as my own observations have reached, after a pretty thorough examination of the region, not more than 25 discharge icebergs into the sea. All the long, high-walled fjords into which these great glaciers of the first class flow are of course crowded with icebergs of every conceivable form, which are detached with thundering noise at intervals of a few minutes from an imposing ice wall that is thrust forward into deep water. But these Pacific Coast icebergs are small as compared with those of Greenland and the Antarctic region and only a few of them escape from the intricate system of channels, with which this portion of the coast is fringed into the open sea. Nearly all of them are swashed and drifted by wind and tide back and forth in the fiords until finally melted by the ocean water, the sunshine, the warm winds, and the copious rains of summer. Only one glacier on the coast, observed by Professor Russell, discharges its bergs directly into the open sea at Icy Cape, opposite Mount St. Elias. The southernmost of the glaciers that reach the sea occupies a narrow, picturesque fjord about twenty miles to the northwest of the mouth of the Sticking River, in latitude fifty-six degrees, fifty minutes. The fjord is called by the natives Hutley, or Thunder Bay, from the noise made by the discharge of the icebergs about one degree farther north there are four of these complete glaciers discharging at the heads of the long arms of holcomb bay at the head of taku inlet still farther north there is one and at the head and around the sides of glacier bay Trending in a general northerly direction from Cross Sound in latitude 58 degrees to 59 degrees, there are seven of these complete glaciers pouring bergs into the bay and its branches, and keeping up an eternal thundering. The largest of this group, the Muir, has upward of two hundred tributaries, and a width below the confluence of the main tributaries of about twenty-five miles. Between the west side of this icy bay and the ocean all the ground, high and low, excepting the peaks of the Fairweather range, is covered with a mantle of ice from one thousand to probably three thousand feet thick, which discharges by many distinct mouths. This fragmentary ice sheet, and the immense glaciers about Mount St. Elias, together with the multitude of separate river-like glaciers that load the slopes of the coast mountains, evidently once formed part of a continuous ice-sheet that flowed over all the region hereabouts, and only a comparatively short time ago extended as far southward as the mouth of the Strait of Juan de Fuca, probably farther. All the islands of the Alexander Archipelago, as well as the headlands and the promontories of the mainland, display telling traces of this great mantle that are still fresh and unmistakable they all have the forms of the greatest strength with reference to the action of a vast rigid press of oversweeping ice from the north and northwest and their surfaces have a smooth rounded overrubbed appearance generally free from angles the intricate labyrinth of canals channels straits passages sounds narrows etc between the islands and extending into the mainland of course manifest in their forms and trends and general characteristics the same subordination to the grinding action of universal glaciation as to their origin, and differ from the islands and banks of the fiords only in being portions of the pre-glacial margin of the continent more deeply eroded, and therefore covered by the ocean waters which flowed into them as the ice was melted out of them. The formation and extension of fiords in this manner is still going on, and may be witnessed in many places in Glacier Bay, Yakutat Bay, and adjacent regions. That the domain of the sea is being extended over the land by the wearing away of its shores is well known, but in these icy regions of Alaska, and even as far south as Vancouver Island, the coast rocks have been so short a time exposed to wave action, they are but little wasted as yet. In these regions, the extension of the sea, affected by its own action in post-glacial time, is scarcely appreciable as compared with that affected by ice action. Traces of the vanished glaciers made during the period of greater extension abound on the Sierra as far south as latitude 36 degrees. Even the polished rock surfaces, the most evanescent of glacial records, are still found in a wonderfully perfect state of preservation on the upper half of the middle portion of the range, and form the most striking of all the glacial phenomena. They occur in large irregular patches in the summit and middle regions, and though they have been subjected to the action of the weather with its corroding storms for thousands of years, their mechanical excellence is such that they still reflect the sunbeams like glass, and attract the attention of every observer. THE ATTENTION OF THE MOUNTAINEER IS SELDOM ARRESTED BY moraines, HOWEVER REGULAR AND HIGH THEY MAY BE, OR BY CANYONS, HOWEVER DEEP, OR BY ROCKS, HOWEVER NOBLE IN FORM AND SCULPTURE. BUT HE STOOPS AND RUBS HIS HANDS ADMIRINGLY ON THE SHINING SURFACES AND TRIES HARD TO ACCOUNT FOR THEIR MYSTERIOUS SMOOTHNESS. HE HAS SEEN THE SNOW DESCENDING IN AVALANCHES, BUT CONCLUDES THIS CANNOT BE THE WORK OF SNOW, for he finds it where no avalanches occur. Nor can water have done it, for he sees this smoothness glowing on the sides and tops of the highest domes. Only the winds of all the agents he knows seem capable of flowing in the directions indicated by the scoring. Indians, usually so little curious about geological phenomena, have come to me occasionally and asked me, What make em the ground so smooth at Lake Tanaya? Even horses and dogs gaze wonderingly at the strange brightness of the ground, and smell the polished spaces, and place their feet cautiously on them when they come to them for the first time, as if afraid of sinking. The most perfect of the polished pavements and walls lies in an elevation of from 7,000 to 9,000 feet above the sea, where the rock is compact siliceous granite. Small dim patches may be found as low as 3,000 feet on the driest and most enduring portions of sheer walls with a southern exposure, and on compact swelling bosses partially protected from rain by a covering of large boulders. On the north half of the range the striated and polished surfaces are less common, not only because this part of the chain is lower, but because the surface rocks are chiefly porous lavas subject to comparatively rapid waste. The ancient moraines also, though well preserved on most of the south half of the range, are nearly obliterated to the northward, but then material is found scattered and disintegrated. A similar blurred condition of the superficial records of glacial action obtains throughout most of Oregon, Washington, British Columbia, and Alaska, due in great part to the action of excessive moisture even in southeastern alaska where the most extensive glaciers on the continent are the more evanescent of the traces of their former greater extension though comparatively recent are more obscure than those of the ancient california glaciers where the climate is drier and the rocks more resisting these general views of the glaciers of the pacific coast will enable my readers to see something of the changes that have taken place in california and will throw light on the residual glaciers of the High Sierra. Prior to the autumn of 1871, the glaciers of the Sierra were unknown. In October of that year, I discovered the Black Mountain Glacier in a shadowy amphitheater between Black and Rod Mountains, two of the peaks of the Merced group. This group is the highest portion of a spur that straggles out from the main axis of the range in the direction of Yosemite Valley. At the time of this interesting discovery, I was exploring the Neve amphitheaters of the group, and tracing the courses of the ancient glaciers that once poured from its ample fountains through the Ilouette Basin and the Yosemite Valley, not expecting to find any active glaciers so far south in the land of sunshine.